The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So good evening, everyone. Welcome. Uh, for those that don't know me, my name is Brigitte. I'm a longtime student of the Dharma and Gil, and uh, I lead a group in San Jose and also a small sangha in Morgan Hill. And uh, Gil ordained me as a minister about five, six years ago. So I come here periodically when invited to teach, and I'm happy to be here tonight. Does anybody have an announcement? No. Okay. Well, you may have guessed uh, I'm going to talk about Sangha tonight. And much of this is taken from an article by Thich Nhat Hanh in the new magazine, uh, Lion's Roar. As you know, Thich Nhat Hanh, or as you may know, Thich Nhat Hanh considers Sangha very important and suggests that the next Buddha, Maitreya, might be the Sangha. The Buddha also felt strongly about the Sangha and spiritual friends. He's reported to have said to his attendant that good spiritual friends were all of the holy life. That was the value and importance he put on spiritual friends. So we're going to talk tonight about Sangha as a deep spiritual practice. And that phrase seems really important to me. We talk about Sangha. We, when we take the refuges, we take refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. But so often, it seems like it's, it's I don't, sort of perfunctory, or we just say it. But it really struck me when I saw this article, Deep Spiritual Practice. So it's not just, oh yeah, it's very nice to sit with other people, but it's actually a very important part of our practice. Sangha is the community of friends practicing together in order to bring about and maintain our awareness, our mindfulness. Many other qualities as well, but mindfulness or awareness is kind of the foundation. It helps to keep us very present. We talk about being in the present moment, being right here, right now, letting other things fall away. We can pick them up later, but for right now, being very present right here. As a Sangha, we practice our mindfulness sitting, walking, talking, sometimes eating. Everything we do 
we do with mindfulness. And even in our silence together, there is support. We support each other just through being together. Many of you may experience it. You may feel the difference when you sit with a group of people and when you sit on your own. Most people, it seems, find it easier to meditate with a group than on their own. There's a certain synergy, a certain um, support that comes from being here together. That's why we have these evenings, these opportunities to practice, so that we come together to practice and not just sit on our own. There's a collective energy that we experience that penetrates our body and our mind. There's an energy of mindfulness because we're all practicing mindfulness together. So we need the right environment to practice. And that's why we have this lovely building and room. But it's more than just a room. We live in a culture where everyone is busy. And many people are carried away by their habitual energies, their habitual patterns. And so practicing can be challenging. It can be very difficult. It can feel sometimes like swimming upstream or going the opposite way on a one-way street. And so we need the support of other people who are doing the same thing, who are practicing in the same way. We can encourage each other and support each other. Often the teachings, the Buddha's teachings, such as simplicity or renunciation, forgiveness, generosity, kindness, may not be what we hear in our everyday lives. Certainly in our culture now, we don't hear much about simplicity, do we? Quite the opposite. We certainly don't hear much about renunciation, (laughs) letting go of things. And forgiveness sometimes is rather questionable. It's not not really necessarily what we want to do. Generosity, maybe not so much. Putting people first. Unfortunately, in our culture today, it seems like sometimes people are almost last. Money seems to be first. Profit, gain. Sometimes, you know, to the detriment of people. 
So when we practice in a group where people are paramount and these qualities are what we want to develop, it can feel lonely. It can feel very challenging. And so having the support of all these other people, even if nothing is said, just being together can be so helpful. Thich Nhat Hanh likes to use a lot of metaphors and uh, uh, beautiful language. So he says that we pract- our practice can be like a garden where people of the Sangha recognize and can point out to us our beautiful trees and flowers that we may not see, or some of which may have died. (laughs) We recognize in each other our beautiful qualities, and we can support each other with those and not pay so much attention to the qualities that aren't so beautiful. At the time of the Buddha, he suggested that his teachings would not take hold and would not be passed down over the ages until there was developed the fourfold Sangha. And the fourfold Sangha refers to the community of monks and nuns, lay women and lay men. So he put a lot of importance on the development of the entire Sangha. Thich Nhat Hanh likes to add to that the trees and the birds and the leaves and the pebbles and (laughs) the flowers to include everything as part of our Sangha. We also need the supportive elements. We need spaces like this to practice. We need reasonably comfortable chairs and cushions. And we, it's nice, we don't need, but it's nice to have it quiet and comfortable, pleasant, aesthetic. When I first started practicing in uh, the 80s, I sat at a zendo in Mountain View that was in a neighborhood. And it was wonderful practice because there was always a lot of noise. There were dogs barking and children playing and cars coming and going. It was not real quiet. And that was very good practice for me because now I'm not dependent on quiet. I can practice just fine with a lot of commotion around me. Some people have a much harder time. And sometimes it's important not to have all that commotion around. There's um, a spiritual teacher in India, Punjaji, who was asked one time by one of his students, you know, I live above 
a store on a very noisy corner. And he said, it's very hard for me to meditate. What should I do? And Poonjiji said, move. (laughs) I'm sure he didn't expect that. He expected this long expose. Move. (laughs) So sometimes it's important just to move, just to find another place. Other times it can be important to practice with distractions or noise and learn that we can practice anyway. So he likens the Sangha to our roots. He says that Buddhism is not about leaving our family or our culture, our traditions, our religions. There's nothing in Buddhism about conversion. But he said we can use this practice to grow and learn and then go back to our families of origin, our communities, and maybe see them in a different light. Maybe see the positiveness, the good qualities, and help to transform the not-so-good qualities. So he suggests the Sangha, then, can be our roots. We can develop deep roots within this community of practitioners. There's much suffering, as we know, in life, in our community, in our families, around the world. Sometimes our rugged individualism takes us away from our families and our communities. And we may at times feel rather rootless. We're such a mobile society. Uh, Oftentimes we don't feel like we have roots. So again, the Sangha can be a place where we can establish roots where we can establish a sense of being part of an important community that supports us, and we know that we are not alone. The Sangha isn't a place to hide out. It's a place to come and learn and grow. Gill has always said that he wants this to be a place where people can come anonymously, practice and leave, and have that be okay. But in general, we want to establish a community. We don't want to just come and practice and leave, but to be a part of of this community and be involved. And so being a part of the community can mean that there are rough spots, that there are challenges. Things aren't always smooth. Things don't always go just as we'd like them to. And so this can be a place to learn to deal with difficulties, with a difficult person 
or difficulties in our lives. And knowing that we have the support of this community to help us to deal with the difficulties. Together, we can accomplish a lot. Sometimes it's difficult to do things on our own. But with a whole community, we can do a lot more. I think of the Buddhist Global Relief Walk in the fall. Each fall, we do a walk with 50 to 100 people, um, starting in San Jose. And it's to raise awareness and to raise money for Buddhist Global Relief, which is the organization that provides support for um, food and poverty around the world. And it's a lot more powerful when a big group of us walks through the neighborhood or the town than when just one of us does it. Again, Thich Nhat Hanh compares the Sangha to soil. We need good, rich soil in order for our seeds to grow. So the Sangha is the soil, and we are the seeds. And we need to nurture and water our seeds, each other, so that we can blossom, so we can grow and reach our potential. We take refuge in the Sangha, which means that we have a safe place to come to, that we're not alone. If we have difficulties, it's so much more helpful if we have at least one other person to talk to. And so we're encouraged to share our difficulties, our troubles with somebody else in the Sangha, with a small group perhaps, in whatever way is supportive to us. And we know that we will have a compassionate ear and presence. And we can feel safe that whatever we're talking about will not go outside this room. And we can be that compassionate ear or present for others who may be having a difficult time with practice or a difficult time in life or have a lot of questions or whatever might be going on. So it's a mutual relationship. So Thich Nhat Hanh also talks about the boat of mindfulness, another metaphor, so that the boat keeps us, or our mindfulness keeps us afloat, and we don't drown in the river of suffering. 
it's easy to get lost sometimes in the river of suffering, our own or just in the world. There is so much suffering. I certainly find it easy to get caught up in all the suffering. And I'm grateful to have this practice to bring me back, to keep me afloat so I don't get lost in all the suffering of the world. So I've said practicing is easier in a sangha. When we have a group of fellow practitioners, it's easier for us to come and sit. And we need to remember that we don't practice for ourselves alone. We practice for everyone. We practice for each other in this sangha. We practice for everyone in our community, in our city, in our state, in our country, in the world. We remind ourselves of that a lot, that we're not practicing just for ourselves. We practice for everyone, just like when we dedicate merit. We always dedicate it for the benefit of everyone, not for ourselves alone. Sometimes it can seem like a very solitary practice, and sometimes uh, Buddhism gets criticized for that, that it can look like we're just practicing individually, just practicing for our own enlightenment. But that's not really the way it is. We remember that we practice for everyone. And we remember that our presence in the Sangha is important because it's supportive to everybody else. So we can feel some responsibility to come and practice together. We can't always come, of course. But sometimes there's an evening or a morning when we think, oh, I don't know, I'm not sure I feel like going. Maybe I'll just stay in bed. Maybe I'll just stay home and watch TV. But that sense of responsibility and that sense of connection to everyone calls us to come because our presence here is supportive to everybody else that's here. And when we're not here, our absence is noticed, particularly in a fairly small sangha. We have a small sangha in San Jose. And when someone's not there, I'm always aware. And there's there's a hole. (laughs) There's a spot that's missing that person. So our presence here is important, whether we're always feeling up to it or not. Also, as we practice together, other people see us. Can be other people in the community or other people outside. 
sometimes when we're doing walking meditation outside, the neighbors notice. They see us walking quietly and slowly, and that can have an effect. Sometimes they might come up and ask, what are you doing? Who are you? And we can tell them that we're doing walking meditation and that when we go inside, we do sitting meditation. And this can be inspiring to people. Thich Nhat Hanh suggests, as I said to you during the meditation, that we could just sit together and soak up the energy of the Sangha without striving or trying to do anything in particular. The practice of non-practice, he says. We just come and sit together and allow ourselves to experience what it feels like to, to be practicing with other people, to experience the synergy that we feel sitting here together. It's important in our practice to be aware of our suffering and to see it clearly, our own. Sometimes we focus on suffering out there as a way of not paying attention to our own suffering. But it's important that we recognize our own suffering. We're always encouraged to turn towards our suffering and not turn away. We can have a tendency of turning away from our suffering. It's not fun. We don't want to see it or feel it. But we're encouraged always to turn towards our suffering and see it clearly because that's the way we get beyond the suffering. At the same time, it can be very helpful to be aware that we're not alone in our suffering, that other people suffer also. Not as a way of forgetting our own suffering, but as a way of gaining perspective, seeing that we're not the only ones that have loss where we're not the only ones that have difficulty. We all do. So I'm reminded of the story, probably many of you know, of Kisi Gotama, who at the time of the Buddha was a young woman that lost her infant child. Her infant died. And she was beside herself with grief, as you can imagine. And she was walking through the village, wailing, carrying her dead baby in her arms. And finally, someone suggested that she go see the Buddha and told her where he was. And so she did. She went to him. And in his kindness, in his compassion, he told her to go into the village And from every house that had not experienced death, 
to bring a mustard seed. So she did. She went through the village and went to each house. And when she was done, she came back to the Buddha with not one mustard seed and said she had found no house that had not experienced death. And with that, she was willing to let go of her son and bury him. Understanding that it wasn't her grief alone. She was not the only one that had lost a loved one. Sometimes when we have deep loss, great loss, it feels so all-consuming. It feels like we're the only ones that this has ever happened to. But of course, it's not true. It happens to all of us. And when we learn that, or when we experience that, that other people have lost also. Other people lose children. Other people lose parents. Other people lose good friends and partners, etc. It gives us a perspective. We're not alone. And we can offer support to others in their loss as well as receive the support ourselves. So sometimes we tend to worry about whether we're doing it right or not. I often have people ask me if they're doing it right or are they doing something wrong because they're experiencing something or other. And Thich Nhat Hanh suggests whatever you're doing, if you're doing it with mindfulness, you're doing it right. If whatever you're doing, you're not doing with mindfulness, you're doing it wrong. So mindfulness is the criterion. (laughs) It doesn't matter so much what we're doing. We can walk fast or we can walk slow. We can bow a lot or we can bow none. We can, what, close our eyes or keep them open. Whatever. If we do it with mindfulness, we're doing it right. And we can trust ourselves. We learn over time to trust ourselves, to trust that we know what is best for us and what we need to do. So it's important to remember that the Sangha isn't perfect. There will be difficulties. There will be difficult personalities. There will be issues come up that are difficult to deal with. And this is not, or it doesn't have to be, a problem. It's part of our practice. And difficulties are often what bring us to practice. We all have strengths and weaknesses, and we can support each other with those. As I say that, I think of one of my weaknesses is technology. <laughs> so I'm very grateful when there are others around that can do the technology, because that's something I just tend to gravitate away from. 
I love giving talks. I don't love working with technology. Fortunately, there are many people that love technology. And so I can get support for that. So we all have our strengths and our weaknesses. Thich Nhat Hanh says, it would be terrible if the Sangha were perfect. <laughs> can you imagine? If everybody was perfect, that would be awful, wouldn't it? We'd all be comparing ourselves to each other and feeling that we came up short. So it's important that, that we not be perfect. I actually realized a long time ago that it was just as important to share our struggles and our difficulties as it is to share our successes. We learn, others learn, from our struggles. Either we learn what not to do, <laughs> or we learn what helps. But it's important that we share with each other our difficulties and that we not feel that we have to hide, that we have to pretend that everything is fine with us. Because we all know it's not. Things are not always fine with any of us. And we get support when we're willing to share that, when we're willing to be vulnerable and let people know that there's difficulties. And as I said, in the safety of knowing that what goes on in here does not leave this building. Sometimes when there's difficulties, a difficult person or difficulties within the Sangha, people think they want to leave. I don't want to deal with that. Or I can't be around that person. Or the issue or whatever it is. But in fact, that's the time to stay. <laughs> the time when we want to leave <laughs> is probably the most valuable time to stay. Because as we work with difficult people, or difficult issues, we grow and we develop our patience and our compassion. And at some point, we may find that that person isn't so difficult anymore because we have developed our compassion. We have opened our hearts we have let our hearts expand and become bigger and bigger and bigger to embrace the difficulties. Again, there's an, an analogy of we put, if we put a little bit of dirt into a jar of water, the water's not going to be drinkable. But if we put that same amount of dirt into a pond or a river, it's not going to affect the water that much. So too with our hearts. As we expand our hearts, let our hearts grow and open, 
then some little slights or difficulties don't have to bother us so much. And as we develop our patience and our compassion, we find that things that used to bother us a lot don't affect us so much. And therefore, we don't suffer. When things don't bother us so much, we don't suffer. So sometimes we might look around and think that there are people that don't have the capacity or the ability to practice as well as we do. (laughs) But Thich Nhat Hanh reminds us that those people have within them the seeds to grow and develop. And that it's our job to help to nurture and to water those seeds and help those people to grow. So again, the responsibility that we have towards each other within the Sangha. So as I said, we take refuge in the Sangha for protection and support. We can feel protected in a group of people that are following the same precepts, the same developing the same qualities. When we go on retreat, the first night we always take the precepts so that we know that we will be safe during that retreat. We know that nobody is going to harm us. Nobody is going to take from us. Nobody is going to abuse us because we are all living during that time under the same understanding, the same precepts. So too, in the Sangha, we can feel safety because we're with a group of people that are valuing the same things, that are following the same path, and that do not intend any harm to us. Sometimes harm happens without our intending it. Sometimes we hurt each other through our speech or our actions without any intention of doing so. And then it's very nice to have a place, a group of people, where we can talk about that, where we can say something to somebody. You know, that was really hurtful to me when you said da-da-da-da. And then the person perhaps can explain that that wasn't at all what they meant. Or they can apologize. So the Sangha can be a place for practicing intimate relationships, having healthy um, dialogue, 
being willing to talk about the difficult things, knowing that it will not come back on us. Like a flock of birds that sticks together for protection and safety. If you see birds flying in formation and if one of them falls away or goes off on his own, that bird can be subject to attack either by a predator, a hunter, So they stay in flocks. They stay in formation together. And so too with us. If we go off on our own, sometimes we may get lost. We can get caught up in greed, hatred, and delusion. It's so easy to do, isn't it? There's so much temptation, so much distraction that without the support of others, we can find ourselves lost and struggling. So we stay together so that we have, even if nothing's said sometimes, just knowing we're with a group of people that are practicing as we are, can be support for us, can help us so that we stay on the path And don't get lost. Don't go off. So how do we build Sangha? Besides coming here Thursday night or Monday night or Sunday morning or whatever, there are many community activities in this particular Sangha. There's the Sunday potlucks. There are Dharma practice days. There's the Wednesday morning sitting and temple cleaning. We all share the responsibility for keeping this building in good order, both inside and outside. No one is paid to do any of that. It's all volunteer. It's all done by us collectively. This is a way to build Sangha to build a community. We all feel responsibility. We all pitch in and help. We have an occasional dinner or an occasional celebration or what? Many, many activities that bring us together as a group, as a sangha so that we can get to know each other in a more personal way and feel connected, feel that bond. So I'm going to end with Thich Nhat Hanh's gatha. He's very good at developing these little sayings that we can repeat to ourselves. Breathing in, I see I am part of a sangha and protected. Breathing out, I feel joy. Maybe we can remember that throughout the day as we go about our business. 
Breathing in, I see I am part of a Sangha and protected. Breathing out, I feel joy. So we have a few minutes. I wonder if there are questions or comments. Mm -hmm. There was a, is it working? No? Yeah, is it working? So there was a, a CEO summit where all the CEO, about 45 CEOs got together, and uh, I think uh, this was by uh, Dr. Richard Boitzis, who was doing a kind of a, a workshop with them. And um, he asked them to write down their biggest problem in a piece of paper and anonymous. And the first 15 minutes, they basically picked them up, and he started reading them out loud. So for 15 minutes, they just did that. And a lot of people wrote how they feel like they're imposter. They're, you know, they're, they're kind of pretending to be leaders. Uh, and by the end of it, just by the fact that they shared this thing, they realized that they're not alone. And, yeah. and that was one of the biggest. They, most people said that was a, their life-changing events. And as you were talking about the, the Sangha, I remembered about this thing and how it actually makes sense that we're not alone. <laughs> a lot of these problems we face, uh, we're good at posturing, so we only look at the highlights in other people. And then we compare it with our lows that we only see, but when we, when we speak up and talk to each other, um, it really helps, and you know, at least for those 45 CEOs, it was very helpful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's, thank you. Yeah, thank you, that's, that's wonderful. Just, just the reading. So that everybody got to hear, oh, so-and-so feels that way too, or somebody feels that way, or how many feel that way. Yeah, and, and I love the way you said it. We look at the highs of everybody else and compare it to our lows. <laughs> Isn't that true? Inevitably. We don't compare our highs. <laughs> we compare somebody else's high with our low. Thanks for that. Somebody else. Mm-hmm. I, I, I was wondering, is there a um, sangha that can be too big or a sangha that can be too small? Is there a right size? <laughs> <laughs> my inclination to say any size is right. (laughs) I don't know. Um, I think there are challenges with either one. I know that at some point, Gil decided this was it. You know, he was not looking to expand anymore. Um... There are advantages either way, you know. We, we tend to have in San Jose between 15 and 25. And the advantage is that when we have discussions, 
you know, it's very easy for everybody to be able to say something. And we get to know each other. One of our sangha building events is during the summer, uh, once a month we have a social outside. And we gather an hour, 45 minutes earlier, have some tea and goodies, and that's a time that we can socialize. Um, so, you know, and it's easy to feel safe in a smaller group than in a large group. On the other hand, here at IMC, which is pretty large, there are so many activities, so many, you know, opportunities for practice in so many different ways. Um, and that's really lovely. That's really wonderful. You know, you can, you can go to whatever fits your need the most. Or if you're having a really difficult time, you can come and sit just about every day of the week, I think. So um, I think it's maybe not so much the size, but the quality, how the sangha is handled, and um, developing that sense of community. Um, one of the things that Thich Nhat Hanh says is that when there's a difficult person, and we treat that difficult person with respect and caring, that's a reminder to us <laughs> that when we have difficulties or when we have a, a grouchy night or we do something, that the Sangha will support us. I thought it was very nice, yes. When we are, it doesn't happen well, I don't know about here so much, but it doesn't happen much in San Jose. But every once in a while, somebody will come. But, you know, it's just difficult. And it's a wonderful practice to develop our patience and our compassion for that person. And, um, and to be reminded that there might be times that we're difficult, too. And then the Sangha will be there for us. <laughs> Anybody else? So I try to read about these things. Uh, so there was an, another is actually a, a um, doctor, Dan Siegel. He's very mm -hmm. popular for kind of coining this term mind sight in basically the whole field of mind sight and um, Kind of the summary of his field is basically that ref relationships and reflections help people grow. And from from the point of view of how the mind actually works and where it starts and how it grows. So that was another thing I was thinking about. And I, I strongly believe in it because both from a scientific standpoint of view and from everything that I've 
my experience, personal experience. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. uh, and that, that has helped me a lot. Um, I, I share my life with a lot of people, <laughs> everything that's going on, and that has helped me a lot. So, yeah, thank you. I wanted to mention that as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, in this practice, we're encouraged always to turn inward, to look at ourselves. If there's a difficulty, the important thing is what is our reaction to it rather than the difficulty or the person himself. But what is our reaction? And then, oh, I wonder what that reaction is about. Now, we don't usually do that, do we? <laughs> We usually focus on the incident or the person or whatever. And then if we do turn it, uh, you know, turn inward and look at ourselves, often we're very critical and very judgmental of what our reaction was. And actually what we're encouraged to do is without judgment, with interest, you know, ask ourselves, Hmm, this is interesting. I wonder what this reaction is about. And then to study it, perhaps, to pay attention. I work as a psychotherapist, and sometimes I use this in my work. Encourage people, um, you know, if somebody is, is expecting to have a difficult interaction with someone, I can encourage them to pay attention to what the other person says or does and then their reaction. And not to respond right away, but just be with that whatever the feeling is or what comes up for them. And we don't always have to respond. You know, even if somebody asks us something, we can say, you know, I'm not sure. Let me think about it and I'll get back to you. Or, hmm, that's an interesting question. I'll have to ponder that. We usually expect that we have to answer right away. But if we can practice not having to respond, that we can just be with whatever is happening and our reaction, we can learn from that. And then often there's no need for a response. Or if there is, we're much more prepared. And we can, we can uh, probably come up with a much more skillful response. So we're just about at nine. Is there a last comment or question? Mm -hmm. uh, I just realized uh, during the practice that uh, I mean, earlier I used to be doubtful whether I like to be alone or do I like to be with the people. Mm -hmm. So I realized that I, uh, I mean, I used, uh, I mean, I used to feel uncomfortable being alone as well as being with people. Mm -hmm. 
so i just happened to think today that maybe i like uh, like i like it when i'm around the people but not everybody is talking like for example in a, in mm-hmm. an environment where lots of people are there and everybody is talking then i i, I don't feel comfortable and uh, another thought which came into my mind that uh, that like are there like two kind of people like one who needs uh, like who who need community to be emotionally healthy and some don't because i mean i just happen to think that for example buddha never need community to get enlightened rather he has to go alone to 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 reach where he reached and uh, yeah i had uh, like i am still in doubt that how to keep that balance because uh, as you said that it's is about turning inwards mm-hmm. but when we may at least uh, i feel better when i feel i'm like i feel i'm part of community so so i find it difficult to find a balance that uh, i mean the uh, remaining inward as well as being mm-hmm. part of community is kind of Mm-hmm. and and i think really you've said it all <laughs> there are people that um prefer to be alone and there are people that get rejuvenated by being with others and some people are very comfortable with a lot of noise and other people no they like the quiet and the balance as you suggest may be different for each of us at different times certainly that's true for me sometimes i very much like community and a lot of activity and talking other times i want to be more quiet and perhaps on my own um so there's of course no right or wrong um we just each need to find the balance that's right for us and recognize that that balance can be different at different times. Yeah. So I think you're on the right track. Just keep paying attention. Okay, so we should formally close and um have a good evening. I wish you well. And if there are other questions, I'll be here for a bit.